0: Hear the word of the Lord from Acts chapter 10, verses 34 to 43. Peter began to speak. Now, I truly understand that God does not show favoritism. But in every nation, the person who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. He sent the message to the Israelites, proclaiming the good news peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. You know the events that took place throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were under the tyranny of the devil because God was with him. We ourselves are witnesses of everything he did in both the Judean country and in Jerusalem, and yet they killed him by hanging him on a tree. But God raised up this man on the third day and caused him to be seen, not by all the people, but by us whom God appointed as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead." He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord.
1: thanks Thanks be to god all right thank you all right so if you're following along we're in acts chapter 10 and if you uh you have a bible that's that's in front of your pew and you don't have one you have one now you can have that one all right so i'm excited to, to dig into the text today um i thought man what should i preach how should i how should i preach on easter and i thought well I'm gonna go look at what Apostle Peter would preach and I'm gonna just preach that, okay? So, I just want this. This is a sermon that he preached in front of a crowd regarding the good news of Jesus. And one of the things that sticks out to me is how he describes what salvation is. He describes this salvation in this text as a freedom from tyranny or oppression. he, He describes it as a freedom. From tyranny or oppression. And what's interesting is that everybody wants freedom, yeah? Is anybody here who doesn't want freedom? No, I don't think so. Everyone wants freedom. And even the major arguments in our culture are not about if we should have freedom or not, it's about what types of freedoms should be desired. So everybody actually wants some some type of freedom. They they, they want to to, to be liberated from from some oppression that they feel they have. And and, and part of the discussion is, is what is the best way to accomplish the freedoms that people seek? But in this text, we learn that Jesus has come to give us true freedom. See, that means that he can explain what the best kind of freedom is... And he knows the way and the path to accomplish that freedom. Again, Jesus frees his people from the tyranny and oppression of guilt, shame, and Satan. So let's ask his help that we can understand what he he says in his word. Lord Jesus, would would you set us free this morning by your word? Would you open up our minds to understand what is written and Lord, will we not just understand with our minds, but with the truth of your word sink down deep into our hearts. That we might truly understand and receive and obey what you are communicating to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So before we get into the, into the, the meat of the text, I have to give you some context. Now we have this saying at our church. It's, context is... King. Context is king. So if I want to understand the Bible, I don't just plug random verses out and go, I think it means this. I look at what's before it, what's after it to help determine the context. And one of the things that we see is that Jesus pursues us to free us. Many of the times when we think of freedom, we, we see it as a task that we ought to struggle to realize. Or in other words, the pressure is on us to experience this freedom. But in the storyline of the Bible, Jesus is the one who takes the initiative, who takes the weight of freeing us. That is not solely on our shoulders. And we can see this in the context of this passage. See, what's happening is Peter is preaching to a man named Cornelius and his friends. A little little about Cornelius. Uh, Cornelius was a Roman military officer He sought the God of the Old Testament, but he had not yet heard about Jesus. He hadn't heard about him yet. It says he prayed, he he fasted, he was seeking God, but he had not heard about Christ yet. That meant that, that he had not yet heard about the promise of forgiveness and the path to that freedom. Thus, he was liable to guilt and shame. But God pursued Cornelius in a very miraculous way. He sent an angel to visit him, and he said, listen, you need to go talk to this dude named Peter. I know you don't know him. You need to go talk to Peter, and he's got something to tell you. God pursued him in a supernatural way. He took some great lengths to to pursue Cornelius, but, but Cornelius actually isn't the only one getting pursued in this text. I think Peter is being pursued as well. Let me tell you why. See, Peter was a Jewish man, and he had a bias against non-Jews and Romans. Okay? So in his heart, there was some racial tension. Okay? And not only that, his home, his country was under occupation by the Romans. So they, he had some non-bias against non he had some bias against non-Jews, but he also had some anger because, hey, hey these Romans particularly, think about this, the Roman military, who, where does Cornelius in? He's in the Roman military. The Roman military is my enemy, thus I don't want nothing to do with them. In fact, one of the names that, that, that Jews would call Gentiles or non-Jews in that time is that they would call them dogs. So we see Cornelius, he's He's trapped in, in this, this, this unforgiveness, this unforgiveness, this shame, and guilt, but Peter is trapped too. He's trapped in his own bias, his own favoritism. Yet, yet God gave Peter a dream that instructed him to go see Cornelius, even though Cornelius was his ethnic and political enemy. See, God was setting Peter up to free him from the sin of favoritism. What's interesting is in both, in both stories, in both individuals, the initiative was God. God saw them bound up. God saw them deceived. And God said, I am going to take initiative. I am going to work through the things in their life to pursue them so that they could be free. And the truth is this, is that God is presently at work in your life. And he is pursuing you it's why you are here today you might think it's coincidence you might think you got a flyer you might think you you know whatever you think but but listen listen god is at work in the minute and in the large things because he has set his mind to pursue you before before you took initiative he has taken an initiative Listen, the things in your life are, are not random. God is is pursuing you in regular and supernatural ways. You know, we have these 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 ideas of like deja vu, right? Or coincidence. What, what's what's happening? is where deep in we heart in our heart we're like. There seems like there's some meaning happening here. There seems like there's, there's something sovereign. What's interesting is even people who don't believe in God, they'll, they'll point out something called deja vu or coincidence because we all have this understanding that there is some higher power that is directing or orchestrating events. And the scriptures would say that higher power is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that these ideas of deja vu and lucky coincidences, that they point to providence. That he is sovereign over everything and that he is using everything in your life to pursue you. Listen, listen, when you look at your life and you think about the good things, and they don't to be extravagant th- good things, just the regular good things that we sometimes overlook. Our family, our friends, uh, the joys of, of, of having a good meal or eating some ice cream, whatever it is. That is a gift. From God to you, you need to see the provisions in your life as not random or circumstantial or coincidental. They are actually God pursuing you with his love. God gives you gifts so that you would go, I think there's a giver. I think there's a giver. Or What, what, about, what about this? Sometimes Sometimes we have to see the hardships in our life. We have to see them as warning and loving discipline listen it's, life ain't always easy right sometimes there's some hard stuff going on and sometimes he uses the hardships of life to say don't go that way don't t- turn the other way or, or maybe we're not in, in the wrong but but god wants to build character in us and and he allows some hardships in our lives so that we would be made more like him Either way, God is in control, he's sovereign, and he is orchestrating your life. Why? So that you would feel his pursuit of you. So first, God has a deal with Peter. Jesus frees people from the tyranny of favoritism. In verse 34, Acts 10, 34, Peter began to speak. Now I truly understand that God doesn't show favoritism, but in every nation, the person who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. So, so listen, we, we see that, that both ethnicity and politics, they were a, a barrier between these two people, which had the potential to cause some animosity and hate. Peter had some stuff in his heart that God had to work on. And listen, you, you, we look at people who carry faz- favoritism or racism or, or hatred, and we, look, we, we think, oh, man, they're so bad. But, but favoritism and hatred are actually heavy burdens to carry. Martin Luther King, he says, he says, I've decided to stick with love. Hate is too great a burden to bear. Listen, Jesus has compassion even on those who are trapped and ensnared in their own sin because he sees that as burden. Have you not seen that some of the most angry people that you know are some of the least happy and unfulfilled? Have you noticed that? And Jesus would look at them in their anger and their, their hatred and go, man, you are burdened. You are burdened. And I can free you. Peter comes to this conclusion that that no background prohibits people from being acceptable to God. There's nothing that that you were born as or that you did or no group that you associated with voluntarily or involuntarily that would make you uh, not a candidate for God's restorative grace. We see this juxtaposition in the text. we got Peter an uneducated Jewish fisherman, Cornelius, an upper-class military leader. And guess what? They both have access. One isn't favored over the other, but God says, I want both of you. Christ can save people from any background. What's interesting is is one of the first voluntary multi-ethnic movements was the church. I said voluntary. Now, there was empires back in the day. And they would make people stick together and they would make these boundaries. But listen, one of the first voluntary multi-ethnic movements was the faith of Jesus. Within a hundred years that of Jesus risen from the dead, there were people in Europe... There are people in Asia and there are people in Africa who proclaimed the name of Jesus and have fellowship with one another. Why? Why? Because they can look back to the message of Jesus and say, no, Jesus calls people from every nook and cranny, every tribe, tongue, and nation. He calls them all together so that he can have this big, happy, multi-ethnic family that would glorify him. In fact, one of the things I love about a church is that we can see the freedom of, of that diversity even in the life of our church. There are people that I know would not, they would not their lives would not even intersect had it not been for our church. And Jesus gives this fruit of love and grace amongst them. In verse 36, we, we, we see that Jesus has come to bring us peace. Verse 36, he sent the message to the Israelites proclaiming the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all now listen if jesus had to go and proclaim some good news of peace that means it's presupposed that there's some sort of conflict yeah if he is calling to pray, to bring peace there's something there's some non-peace that is happening and the reality is is do we not feel the conflict in our lives listen listen we even feel inner conflict within ourselves have you ever had an argument with yourself I hope it wasn't like out loud. That's a different story. But, but listen, but, but y'all understand this tension, this conflict that, that, that is not even simply out there somewhere, but we feel it in the depths of our being. One of the things I love about Scripture is that, is that it, it, it gives me some words to describe how I feel. This is what, what Apostle, says, Apostle Paul says in Romans seven fifteen. He says, for I do not understand what I'm doing because I do not practice what I want to do But I do what I hate. Can I be real? I resonate with that verse. There are times when I'm doing or saying something like, what in the world am I doing? I feel that inner conflict. And scripture teaches that not only do we have conflict with ourselves, and we saw previously that there's conflict between peoples and people groups. The scripture teaches that we actually have conflict with God. When the Bible describes us before we come to Christ, it describes us as enemies of God. Now, we're not enemies of of God because God wants to be enemies with us. But we're enemies of God because we take what he says and we say, I don't care. I'm going to do what I want to do. Even if I give lip service. Yeah, I think that's cool. But when I actually live my life, I'm going to do exactly what I want to do. And you, you, you would understand how much of an insult this would be, is if, if you came to me and you said, hey, I think you're pretty wise. Can you give me some advice in life? And, and I were to give you some well-thought-through advice, and you were like, well, whatever. i feel some kind of way, yeah? But yet we do that with God. We take his commands and we go, well, that's kind of cool. Anyway, moving on. The scripture says that, gives, that puts us in conflict. And see, Christ has come to bring peace to all because he is Lord of all. See, as creator and sustainer, he has a vested interest in caring for us. There's this this pastor from the 300s. His name is Athanasius. I know that's a weird name. He's my boy. Anyway, listen to this quote. This is how he describes God's predicament in relation to mankind. He says, truly this great work, he's talking about Christ's coming, truly this great work supremely benefited the goodness of God. For if a king constructed a house Or a city, and it is attacked by bandits because of the carelessness of its inhabitants, he in no way abandons it, but avenges and saves it as his own work, having regard not for the carelessness of the individuals, but for his own honor. In other words, we know that it's important to take care of what belongs to you and whomever you are responsible for, yeah? If you don't take care of what blessed one, when when you give a child something and they treat it all messed up, you're like, what are you doing? You got to take care of what what, what belongs to you. Listen, when God sees us, even in our sin and in our rebellion, and even as we have made ourselves his enemies, he says, no, you belong to me and I'm responsible for you. So even, even so, I will care for you. Jesus has come to set us free from the the tyranny of the conflict within our hearts, the conflict between one another, and fundamentally our conflict with God because we looked at his law and we said, whatever. And I love how Peter summarizes the ministry of Jesus. He says, Jesus does good and sets people free from tyranny. Listen, verse 37. You know the events that took place throughout Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And how he went about doing good and healing all who were under the tyranny of the devil. Because God was with him. I love that, 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 that summary. What did Jesus do? He went around doing good stuff and healing people under, who were under the tyranny of the devil. Listen, what's, what's interesting is this there is a presupposition in that if we can objectively say that jesus went around doing good then we have to objectively state there is such a thing as the good we would have to objectively say there is a right and there is a wrong jesus peter didn't preach to say jesus went around doing good i think because i think he did it no like there's an objective standard of right and wrong, and Jesus was always on the right side. See, good is not arbitrarily defined. God defines what is good by his commands. And Jesus, the Bible teaches us, always obey God always honored him he had perfect individual holiness he always loved god he constantly prayed and obeyed and not only that he demonstrated perfect love and mercy to others listen he always loved everyone including his enemies he honored the weak was content and did not want what was not his he taught about god and he healed he is the the epitome of good if you will the embodiment of good And then it says that I want to talk about the spiritual evil. Like like, like spiritual evil, it it negatively affects us in at least three ways. At least three ways. Number one, we can look at the scripture and see that spiritual evil afflicts us. Look at the mental, emotional, and physical pain some go through. The older I get, the more I understand what goes on in the world, the more I see the pain that people go through. And the more I can't just, just look at it and go well, that seems interesting or that's random, but I look at it and go, that seems evil. Some of the struggles and the pain, the depths of struggle that people go through, and I think that's not, just, that's not just something natural. Something is going on. It feels like there's someone afflicting someone. It's not simply natural, but there are some malevolent forces at work. Spiritual evil afflicts God's creation. Not only that, spiritual evil tempts us. Listen, are there not times when you're surprised by your own thoughts and desires? you like walking around minding your business, and then a thought comes in. You're like, that's, that's messed up. Like, <laughs> what the world? <laughs> I probably shouldn't have thought that. And that's temptation from the evil one. And not only does he tempt us, the, 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 the spiritual evil of Satan, he accuses us. Do we not feel overwhelmed by guilt and shame sometimes? We, we, when we're by ourselves in our rooms thinking about what we have done, and sometimes we can go, man, look at how I've messed up. Look at how many missteps I've taken. And we can recount conversations, you know, like I didn't, I didn't say or do the right thing, and you start to feel this depression. A lot of the depression that we feel is associated with the guilt and shame that we feel because of our own sin. And listen, Jesus frees us from all three of these things. Jesus heals the afflicted sickness and disease left at his command. Jesus Jesus he warned and taught about temptation. He would say don't be deceived but see the path of where sin leads and see the consequences. And Jesus forgave the accused. People who were caught in very public sin. Jesus would forgive publicly. He has come to destroy the works of the devil. And all this that is God's doing. Jesus reveals to us that, di- that God does good and sets people free. There, there's one instance where one of his disciples said to him, he said, Jesus, if you would just show us the father, that would be really cool. You keep talking about this father guy. You talking about God. Like, it would be really cool if you would just show him. And Peter looked at him and said, don't you understand that if you have seen me, you have seen the father? If you're sitting here wondering, what, what is God like? What does he look like? What would he say? What would he do? You can look at Jesus and have a perfect an image, a perfect representation not only does jesus set us free from the tyranny of evil he sets us free from the tyranny of death and judgment look at verse 39 it says we ourselves are witnesses of everything he did in both the judean countryside and in jerusalem and yet they killed him by hanging him on a tree God raised this man up on the third day and caused him to be seen, not by all people, but by us whom God appointed as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. I want you to understand the type of death Jesus died is important. Now, if you pay real close attention, Jesus, uh, Peter said Jesus died on a tree. Uh, if you're paying it close attention, you're like, well, was it a tree? I thought it was a cross. What's going on? Right. Why, why did he say that? Why did he indicate that Jesus died on a tree? Because all the way in the Old Testament, the idea of dying on a tree was to be afflicted with a curse. And that curse was specifically that you did not obey God's law. Now we have already established that of all of humanity, there is one who did fully obey God's law. So why did he end up Nailed to a tree and seen as a curse. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Because it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on the tree. Listen, listen. He went around doing good. He was not cursed because he didn't do do something he should have done. He was cursed because he stood in our place. Christ took our curse. The fact that we looked at God's law and said whatever, that he took that. He says, I will take the consequences of that. That is why it's, it's significant that he died on a cross, that he died on a tree. Listen, and because he took that curse, when we trust in him, we are free from judgment because he endured the judgment in our place this is the gospel listen the curses that are rightly aimed at us fell on jesus that's, that's what we it's, it's kind of a strange thing that we celebrate somebody's death anybody like think about this if you came and somebody was like yo that dude died yeah you're like well, that's kind of weird like why are we going to celebrate that? The reason we celebrate this death is because this is a death that takes away the shame and the guilt and the punishment that is due to us because of our sin. Because Jesus, the perfect one, took it in our place. And Peter testifies that Jesus didn't stay dead. But that he rose from the dead. One of the reasons that's meaningful is that Jesus offers this resurrection possibility to us. Listen, he says, says, if you follow me, you're going to be where I am. Well, where is he now? He ain't dead. (laughs) So if we follow him, our ultimate destiny is not death, but it's resurrection with him. This means that we can be free from the fear of death. And then what's interesting is is, is Peter points to the proofs of the resurrection. He goes, listen, I know he rose from the dead because I ate some food with him. You might think it was a hallucination, but we was eating fish. I don't think ghosts eat fish, y'all. He, he said, listen, "Listen, you can look and see." No, no, I'm not just talking about in my mind. He rose from the dead. Or, or I like the idea that he rose from the dead. But I sat there and I ate with him as a proof that he is alive. Matter of fact, matter of fact, in First Corinthians it says that 500 people saw Jesus alive after his death. Now maybe one person will lie maybe 12 people will lie, but 500, about the same thing? He is pointing to the fact that, no, Jesus rose from the dead. It's not a figment of my imagination, but it is a reality. And we can even, one of of the interesting things is is we can ask ourselves what happened in the end to Peter and the rest of the apostles. Because we could assume they lied because they got some sort of benefit. But the reality is, they suffered because of this message and that every single one of them died was persecuted there was no incentive to lie other than that what they had seen was true beloved we have assurance in the resurrection not simply because we just believe it happened but we can look back and say "Nah, there's some witnesses that said this man who was dead is alive and lastly, we see that Jesus frees us from this guilt. In verse 42, it says, He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that He is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about Him, that through His name, everyone who believes in Him receives the forgiveness of sins. What I want to point, to, point out to you is this it says that He is the judge. Now, when we think of somebody being the judge, that makes us uncomfortable, right? Don't judge me, right? When we think about, who, he the judge? I don't. He must be a scary person if he's the judge. But, but, but listen, you have to think about Jesus being the judge in the context of everything that he has done for us. So ima- imagine you're on trial, you're waiting for your trial, and you walk into the to courtroom, and you look on the judge's seat, and there you see your best friend. You're going to feel a little bit better, right? You're like, oh, snap. He liked me. <laughs> he's got my back. Listen, that's the kind of judge we have in Christ. That we'll stand before him, and, and the reality is our sins, will, well, they might be lifted uh, listed out, but, but Jesus say, hey, by the way, I just want you to know I took care of that and that. I paid for that. I got you. I've taken it all along. So you don't have to feel this guilt. Instead, what you feel is relief. But you can go, then you understand something of what Christ has purchased for you in the gospel. He is the judge that forgives those who trust in him because he's the judge that took your sentence. And so what I would say to you is, is maybe you're, you're here and you might feel bound by guilt, by shame, or by Satan. listen. Listen, Jesus is ready right now, today, to give you freedom. If you would call out to him, and if you would say, Jesus, will you forgive me? Will you make me free? I promise you, he will say yes. He loves you. And he doesn't want you to live in the the tyranny of your own guilt and shame pushed around by Satan and spiritual evil because he has done something objectively to free you. And he will apply the benefits of his death and resurrection to you. And some of us are here and, and, you know, we we believe, we believe. But we're, we're like that guy who says, I believe, but can you help me? I, can you help my unbelief? Sometimes we doubt. And maybe you're here and you need to be reminded of that freedom. Maybe you're here and you feel weighed down by guilt and shame. Maybe you're here, you you feel, feel, feel pushed around by spiritual evil in your life. But you need to remember that tasting that freedom is on the other side of faith. That if I go, actually, I don't have to live in the tyranny of guilt and shame. Jesus took that for me. I, I, I don't have to. To, to live as if my, my life is just, just this orchestrated by an evil one, but there's one who is a judge and who's sovereign, who has said, I'm for you, and i proved that I'm for you because I died for you on the cross. Man, that, that taste of freedom is on the other side of when you hear God's word and you say, I believe. Now, when we look at the story, Peter came to Cornelius and his friends and he preached the gospel. And you might be wondering, well, what happened? Right. Because context is Kenya. What happened? In verse 44, it says, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came down on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles for they heard them speaking in tongues and declaring the greatness of God. Then Peter responded, can anyone withhold water and prevent these people from being baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. That's that's, that's the next step of faith, that we would believe, that we would would hear, that, that we would be filled with the Spirit, and that we would be baptized. And what's cool is today we'll get to see, we'll get to see an, an example, folks taking that step of faith, trusting in Jesus' word, saying, I don't have to be ruled by my guilt, my shame, my fear. I don't have to be ruled by any of that. But I have a judge who loved me and died for me. And I can trust in him. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for your word. I pray that you would let your word sink down deep into our hearts that you, you would help us to trust and believe in your word. Even when it is hard, even when we have doubts, would you just help us, Lord, to hear your words, you are forgiven, and to believe. Yeah, Lord, help us to follow you, to honor you for your
0: sacrifice, and to praise you for your resurrection. In Jesus' name, amen.